Welcome back to Two Guys, One Mike, a college football podcast bringing you all the college football news and notes, uh, scores, headlines, betting lines, everything you can want from college football. I'm one of your hosts, Jacob Wilson, joined by my fellow host, JT Hershowski. How you doing, man? I'm having a sore back from golf, and I'm doing great today. Back in person, back to just getting to what we're good at. Uh, we got a full list of stuff to go, so I think we just need to hop in, man. I'm ready to talk about the topics we got today. We got two great topics. What are we talking about? Yeah, keeping it pretty simple. Obviously, we didn't get to the ACC preview last week. If you got a chance to listen to the episode, I even put a nice little quick disclaimer in there for the people just True. to let them know. True. Fair enough. Because um, we did talk about a lot about the ACC preview th- throughout the episode before. <laughs> and then didn't do it. Didn't do it. But like you said, yeah, we're back in person, so the audio should sound decent here in my girlfriend's basement. True. A new um, place to record. I know. Somewhere different. We've recorded, recorded in a lot of different places over the over the years. But yeah, like you said, uh, we're talking to keep it pretty simple, pretty condensed. We're going to do the ACC preview second. But first, we're going to bring you a little fun list of our top 10 college football stadiums. stadiums. I've seen some lists online for college football stadiums and they're typically more just what the stadium looks like we're gonna go a little bit more in depth so we're gonna rank our top 10 college football stadiums we have three criteria uh and probably i don't know if it's a list of importance but the three criteria are one the way the stadium looks two the tradition of the stadium how long it's been a lot how long it's been around if there's been big big games played there in its history if a big big program plays there and then finally, um, what was the last one, sorry? Uh, atmosphere. Atmosphere, yeah. Kind of game day atmosphere before the game. Um, I always think of like Tennessee when they play and they all get on those boats right outside the stadium and they walk from the, the boats to the yeah. game. And then inside the game, you know, how loud the crowd actually is, how rocking the crowd gets, uh, how good the fans are. So those three criteria. So it's a little bit more than just how the stadium looks. So. In a way, it's almost kind of how good the fan base is plus how good that stadium is, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, I even fully admit I do have a little bit of bias towards atmosphere. So if you're wondering why my list is ordered a certain way, it definitely gave a little, a lot of weight into atmosphere. It just, I mean, obviously I thought about tradition and I thought about, you know, and I also made sure, and I also tried to think about all the programs, and you know, just because a program doesn't good now doesn't mean that when their program is great, they don't have a lively stadium. And so I tried to take that into effect too, and I think... A little teaser, you kind of mentioned Tennessee, a little teaser is Tennessee is a little maybe higher up on my list than most people would have it, but um, so that, that's, but we got to get into it, and then like you said, we're getting to the ACC preview today. Full disclosure, this is one I just want to get through, man, because this conference, while it, just very, it is exciting in the sense that it's one team, and then the 13 others are almost fun to talk about just in competition with their other, but it feels a little bit kind of like ruined because... You're going to the ACC this year knowing who's going to win the conference. So this is one that like I just want to get through. Uh, we want to talk about some stadiums first because I'm very interested to see how our stadiums differ. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, the ACC has not been fun lately. I think it's going to be a bit more fun this year than it has been recently, especially with what we've seen from North Carolina lately. We'll get into that later. And then uh, I think there's a few other teams that are kind of on the rise in that conference. But, yeah, with the Pac-12 and the ACC, not as excited for it, and I'm really excited more excited for the Big 12 and then especially excited for our SEC and Big 10 previews. Obviously, the SEC is probably the most well-known conference, and if we're being honest, probably the best conference. And then the Big 10, slightly below it, but we are Big 10 fans, so we know a lot about it. So those two I'm really excited for. Yeah, definitely excited about those two. And I'm actually even excited to get into the Big 12 this year. I think the Big 12, um, for the first time in a while, has a chance to be a little little less top-heavy. We'll obviously get into it a little bit more, but... 
you know, without a June, without a college transfer quarterback at, at Oklahoma, I wonder how that program, um, you know, I wonder how they transition into to 2020. All right, let's jump right into it. I'll start off. Number 10, maybe a little lower than some people would have it, but I have the Coliseum mm. where USC plays in Los Angeles. Probably some recency bias to the fact that the fan base hasn't been as great lately because the team hasn't been as great, but man, this place has a lot of history. I mean, it's literally called the Coliseum. It's a pretty badass name. It's a cool place to play. It's really old. It's got a lot of tradition. A lot of big games have been played there. A lot of big USC Notre Dame games have been played there. And the atmosphere maybe is what gets it docked and gets it all the way down to 10 on here, but still a great stadium and it makes the top 10 list. And you know, I mean, there's 130 stadiums, so to be yeah. on the top 10, it's pretty solid. Yeah, I agree with you too. It's definitely not as high as I have it on my list, but you know, I think I think with the way USC has done as has played in the past ten years, it's been a little lackluster. And it's also a very big stadium, so it's traditionally always not very full. Uh, and being in LA, traffic can be a factor too. And so I think the uh, the stadium has has kind of gotten away from a lot of people's minds. But I mean, I think about the two thousand six. Uh, 2005 seasons with Matt Leinan or Reggie Bush and Pete Carroll and you know that team had so much swag and, and part of it was they played in such a beautiful stadium and they had raucous crowds and you know it just it's a great atmosphere so I think it's deserving on your list I've, I want to have I have two um, honorable mentions before I get into number 10 on my list yeah so my honorable mentions at number 12 I think it's called Memorial Stadium or De- the original Death Valley as I like to as they like to call it Clemson Stadium Okay. And number 11, it's outside my top 10, is the big house of the University of Michigan. And the reason, I don't want to sound like a biased Ohio State fan, but the atmosphere just to me, it sucks. The stadium is so flat. There's no energy in that place. And the program, I think, is a, is a representation of how just that stadium is. Big, flashy, but no passion, lack of atmosphere, and no substance. So it's out of my Ooh. list. But number 10... I've got Bryant Denny Stadium, where the University of Alabama plays. When I tell you, it's another one where it's just Alabama is obviously the best team probably this past decade. A team that's got a lot of swag, a team that's gonna hit you, hit you hard. And you know, part of that was you when you went into Tuscaloosa into Bryant Denny Stadium. That stadium was crazy. The SEC, just every SEC stadium, I feel like is packed and and large and has has great and raucous crowds. And especially in the last ten years, Alabama has really made that that a fortress. And I love the atmosphere there. It's a great stadium. It's down in where in the heart of football is down in Alabama, and it comes in at number ten on my list. Yeah, I mean that was probably that didn't make my list. Uh, spoiler alert, but it was you know it was close to making the list. Um, I think the one thing that I docked points from from what's it called Brian Denny Stadium is just the fact that it looks like an NFL stadium. Mm-hmm. I like the stadiums that are kind of more traditional looking, like you know Ohio Stadium or the Big House or Notre Dame Stadium. Kind of have that old school feel, old school feel, and uh, don't really look so new like Brian Denny, Denny right. Stadium does. But uh, at number nine, I have Texas Memorial Stadium, mm. um, where Texas plays. I love the fact that they kind of have the horseshoe look to it. Actually, have more of a horseshoe, way more of a horseshoe than Ohio State does now. Yeah. Funny enough, uh, Ohio State's done a lot of renovations over the years. Yeah, but I do love the look of the stadium. Um, I love the fact that they have that horseshoe. It was intact for quite some time. I think recently they put it a little, like maybe 10k stand, maybe not even 10k, maybe like a 5k stand on that one side. But still, for the most part, it's mostly a complete horseshoe. And obviously, look, Texas plays there, so a lot of big games have been played there in its history. Um, it's a cool-looking stadium. It's got a lot of history, a lot of tradition, so it comes in at number nine for me. All right, number nine. I do not have Texas on my list, but it was uh, definitely a consideration, so I definitely like that one. All right, at number nine, I've got Jordan-Hare Stadium, where the University of Auburn plays. 
And I think, again, this is definitely more of a recency bias. It just feels like in the last five years, Auburn has had some magical moments at this stadium. It feels like we have the miracle of Jordan Air against Georgia, kick six, even last year in that game against Alabama. It just feels like when Auburn's in this stadium, the crowd is raucous. It feels like they're on top of you. It's loud. It's boisterous. And Auburn just seems to feed off that energy, and they create these magical moments in the stadium. I think with also, it's not one of our criteria, but the moments that have happened in this stadium – especially in the last 10 years, for me means a lot, and that's why it sneaks into number nine on my list. I mean, I think that was part of our criteria, tradition of the stadium, kind of mm-hmm. games, that, at least in my mind, when I wrote down tradition of the stadium, I was kind of thinking games that have been played there, if there's been some famous moments there. And definitely it's not necessarily some super traditional stadium with a ton of history, and it kind of looks more NFL-ish like Alabama, but the moments that have been there over the, since pretty much 2013 have been wild, and because of that, I can see why it snuck into your list. It was just on the outside for me, but at number eight, I have Beaver Stadium, where mm, Penn State wow. plays. Wow, all the way down at eight. Yeah, a little higher up. I have it definitely Whew. higher up. Uh, I mean, like I said, there's 130 stadiums out there. It was hard to judge, but uh, I mean, I think part of the reason I have it down here is because of it's only been what it's been in the last seven, eight years since they created the whiteout. It's only been going on for, what, five or six years now? Before the that, White it was House? still... Well, it has been for, like, 15 years, hasn't it? I guess, but I guess what I'm saying is it hasn't necessarily been some amazingly traditional stadium. That's kind of the spot it got docked. Obviously, atmosphere, it's one of the top two or three out there. Um, and then, you know, the team that plays there isn't necessarily elite like in Ohio State or Alabama, but they always got a good football team there, always playing in big games. But, yeah, that whiteout is the reason it makes it in my top ten because anytime they play those whiteout games... That crowd is wild. The atmosphere is wild, and there's honestly nothing like it in football. All right. All right. Coming in at number eight on my list, rounding out a bit of an SEC run, I've got Kyle Field, home of the 12th man in Texas A&M Aggies. Mm-hmm. I love this stadium. I love just the look of it. I love the design. I actually kind of like that they pretty much don't have fans on one side. I never really understood that, but one of the few stadiums out there that has a triple-decker, the fans just seem to be packed on top of you. They fit in 83,000, and just when I watch games on the TV, it almost feels like you're just like always in a buzz. It feels like you're just in a stadium with just white buzzing noise coming out of you just all at all times. The stadium's always rocking, and I just love the feel of the fans being on top of you, and I think it's a great environment. And being back into the SEC, I actually give it a few more points. I think it just gets roped into a lot of these great stadiums that SEC teams have. Yeah, number seven, I have Kyle Field as well. I mean, you had it at eight, but yeah, I mean, here back to back, I have it now at seven, Kyle Stady, or Kyle Field. Uh, and yeah, I mean, pretty much everything you said, I think it does have some tradition. It does have a pretty good football team that plays there. But similar to Beaver Stadium, the atmosphere is why it makes it in my top ten. Obviously, it's home of the 12th man. It's gotten that name for a reason. It's gotten that reputation for a reason. Because like you said, it is absolutely buzzing there. It is rocking there when Texas A&M plays, and that's why it makes it in my top ten. All right, moving on to my number seven. I've got the Coliseum, uh, the USC Trojans. You touched on a lot of it, but kind of just like you said, I think it's the place out, out west. It's the Besides the Rose Bowl, it's to me, it's the best stadium out west. Uh, hosts a great program with a ton of history. I mean, US, people forget how traditionally great USC is. I mean, back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, they were always in the Rose Bowl against Ohio State teams. Uh, the stadium just has a really cool feel to it. I love the name, the Coliseum, and the, the resemblance to, to old, the, the, the true Coliseum in Rome. Uh, to me, it's a beautiful stadium. I've been to it, so maybe that's why I have a little more, more bias than others. Um, uh, but it just for me, it's a great stadium. Uh, it's a great place to play. Hosted some of those great 2005-2006 USC teams and just 
great USC teams throughout the years, great tradition, uh, big fan of it, so I got it at number seven. Yeah, here I have a little bit of a streak. Now at number six, I have Tiger Stadium, where LSU plays, and kind of just have a streak of teams that I don't necessarily associate the stadium itself with a crazy history or a cool look, but the atmosphere is why it brings itself into its my into my top ten, and LSU, it's kind of the same thing as Beaver Stadium and Kyle Field, you know. When these guys get going on a on a Saturday night, that place is absolutely buzzing. LSU, I mean, I think of those are probably the three best atmospheres in all of college football, in my opinion, and that's probably where why all three of them make it into my list. All right, moving on at number six, I have the Rose Bowl. A stadium that I admit is I was surprised when I was finished my list that I found it down on six. Uh, I love the tradition. It's got the greatest bowl game with the greatest tradition and the Rose Bowl, or obviously the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all. But the reason it got docked on my list is that when it's not being used for the Rose Bowl, it's a bleh-filled stadium with a bleh team in UCLA and not a great atmosphere, and I felt like it deserved to be docked for that. But, I mean, you're talking about, I think, the way it looks and the tradition of the Rose Bowl. You're talking about the best stadium, but just being the best for once a year doesn't quite cut it for me. Yeah, I mean, you'll be shocked to hear. I don't have it on my list. Really? And like, kind of like you touched on, same with last week when we talked about the USC-UCLA rivalry rivalry, and why I didn't have that on my top 20 is a lot to do with UCLA. And this is kind of the same thing. Uh, I mean, there's like 20,000 people in this building when UCLA plays. And obviously the history of the stadium itself is probably the best of any stadium. But just the fact that UCLA has been playing there and they've been really rough lately – and anytime they do play there, I mean, there's like 20,000 people there. There's, a lot of times there's more of the opposing team, and it's just a rough atmosphere, a rough team. And, yeah, it's just kind of like I said with USC, UCLA. When I think about it, it kind of just go, eh. And it is a shame that a better team doesn't play there. That's what I always thought. I've always thought that, too. Yeah, so uh, for me, though, at number five, I have Notre Dame Stadium. I didn't even make my top ten. Touchdown, Jesus. This one just had to be on there for, for all the history of the stadium. Um this stadium has been there for a long time. It hosted Notre Dame back in its glory days of the early, early, early days of college football. It actually started as a 10,000-seat uh, stadium. That's crazy. And it's worked its all, all the way up until, I want to say, the 80,000s. You can still see Touchdown Jesus from the stadium. They still have the uh, old-school grass out there. Yeah. And when those night lights hit that old grass, and there's just people with mud all over them and <laughs> playing in that old-school dirty football. I just love to see it, man, and that's why it makes it this high on my list. A stadium that probably should have made my list but uh, but didn't was Notre Dame Stadium, but you're right. I think I didn't give enough credit when I was making my list to the tradition and the tradition of that program uh, and its Catholic roots with Touchdown Jesus, and to those who associate with Notre Dame, that program means so much, and that stadium does too, so I'll, I'll give you credit. I like that pick, but at number five, I've got Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, or as I like to call it, the Swamp where the University of Florida plays. For me, this, I admit, I'll admit, is probably a little higher on my list than most people, and it's all because of the environment. For me, there's just something about hot, sweaty Florida, and you're going into the swamp with fans that pack it in, 88,000, uh, and it's been around for years and years and years. And I think Florida is a football program that 
I think has a really actually a sneaky good history. Uh, I've had a lot of good coaches there. Steve Spurrier had great years there. Obviously, Urban Wire won two national championships. It's a stadium that I think has kind of been forgotten lately because Florida's kind of tailed off. Uh, but at the height of their program, uh, but it was 06 and 07 when they were killing everybody and teams had to come in there. And it just, the name it perfectly exemplifies the atmosphere of that stadium, the heat and what opposing teams have to go through. For me, it's a very intimidating stadium. And that's why it pops up so high on my list at number five. All right, at number four for me, I know you hate to see it, but the big house here at number four, uh, second biggest stadium in college football behind Beaver Stadium. One of the oldest stadiums. I will say I love the look of the stadium. I love the fact that it is a single tier. There's no upper deck. You know, you got to, I don't know, I just love the way it looks when it's full. Um, and obviously it typically always is full. And when, when it's full, I just love the way it's just one big crowd all together. There's no two tiers. And it does get docked a little bit for its uh, atmosphere. I think recently, recent or not recently, uh, maybe 30, 40 years ago, it probably would have been number one or number two, but it has went down the list a little bit probably recently, and for some people probably even further down the list, obviously for you. The atmosphere has been rough lately, but I, I think you can kind of say the same thing about a high stadium. It, it can kind of be a rough atmosphere compared to the likes of Tiger Stadium, Kyle Field, and Beaver Stadium. But, yeah, I mean, the big house, especially with how this team has played over the past 18 years, the atmosphere has been a little rough, but still with the tradition of that team, tradition of uh, that stadium and just how big it is and the look of it, I still have it all the way up here at four. All right, at number four, I've got Neyland Stadium, Rocky Top, home of the Tennessee Volunteers. And I think one that a lot of our newer viewers are going to be very surprised, but those who remember the tradition of Tennessee when that program was at its heyday back in the two, early 2000s when that program was making to national championships, this stadium was the toughest to go through in the ICC. Fills in 102,000, just all of them screaming at the top of their lungs, making a crazy, raucous environment. Uh, and the stadium even gets a little bit of uh, some publicity in the movie The Blind Side. It's kind of how I first really learned about it and kind of the atmosphere it creates there. But from what I've heard, when Tennessee Volunteers are a top-tier program, this place is an extremely intimidating, fearsome place. Has a sneaky amount of them, 102,000, one of the most... Uh, highest filled capacity stadiums just a simple clean two-decker look uh, but a great place to watch a college football game yeah yeah definitely uh, I love Neyland Stadium so at number three I have Memorial Stadium home of Nebraska oh wow uh, I love higher I than love Beaver Stadium this much higher much higher oh, I love God. Nebraska I just I will say I have a bit of a bias actually I have a bias towards all three of these top three teams I like all three of these teams Nebraska is one of them I just love their fan base. I think they might have the best fans in all of college football. They're so so loyal to this uh, team, even when they've been horrible. That's true. They've sold this place out, what is it, it's a few like, thousand, a hundred times in a row. It's, it's something so insane. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful stadium. I love when all the red, when it's packed. Um, it's a cool stadium. I love the fact that it's like the third biggest city in Nebraska when it's filled to capacity. Uh <laughs> I love those like little, just kind of like Beaver Stadium, just the stadiums in the middle of nowhere. But you can Beaver Stadium in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you can get ninety thousand, hundred thousand people to come out to the middle of nowhere to watch a college football game. And Memorial Stadium, there's just something special about it. Uh, the way these fans love this team, and especially if this team could get a little bit better, this place would be really special. All right, and number three, I've got the Horseshoe. Columbus Stadium, home of or Ohio Stadium, excuse me, home of the Ohio State University Buckeyes. Obviously, kind of known for its very unique horseshoe shape. It does still somewhat resemble a horseshoe, even though it's been filled in throughout the years. But fits, I think, up to almost 106,000 now. And of course, Ohio State is such a good football program, and they really don't have like a true like 
quote unquote like big rival outside of Michigan. So uh, and maybe Penn State, but so this game, this game is like really at its like peak. One, only feels like once a year because they play Penn State and Michigan on different years at home every year. But for that one game, man, I mean, this is the place to watch a college football game. Has a very loyal, somewhat obnoxious fan base too that makes the environment even crazy. You got 106,000 fans just screaming at you, and when you get a night game at this place, it can get really out of hand in terms of just crowd noise and also. I have to give some credit. It's got the greatest non-football tradition in college football with the script Ohio and dotting the I. It's something that I think everyone should see before they die. Uh, the team's got great tradition uh, and obviously one of the most powerhouse football programs that have been playing in it for 100, for 100 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I have Ohio State here too, and you pretty much said it all there. Ohio State has a little bit of everything going for it. They have a great football program. Um, every single year there's a good game played here. Throughout history, there's been so, so many good games played here. And you think of just the three Ohio State-Michigan games, like the Snow Bowl in 1950, 2006, one versus two Michigan game, the 2016 game. Yeah. Um, there's been tons of Penn State games that have been wild. There's been times when we played Notre Dame in the stadium, and it's been a good game. Um, throughout the history, there's been so many good games played here. It's one of the older stadiums that's been around for a long time. It was one of the first ever stadiums to be built this big. It kind of set... Kind of set. Uh, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is, but kind of set the standard of building really big stadiums yeah. and packing them. Um, it's always, almost always sold out. It's always filled to the roof with red. Um, it always has a good program. It's also a cool stadium, the Horseshoe. Obviously, it's been covered up a bit, but it's still a really beautiful stadium and a beautiful area. And the only thing it kind of gets docked is the atmosphere just a little bit. But part of that is just because Ohio State's been so good recently. And it's hard to get up for some of those games like Maryland, Rutgers, etc. But like you said, when they're playing Michigan at home and they're playing Penn State at home, it's rocking just like any other, uh, some of the other best places in the country. All right, moving on to my number two. I've got the traditional, in my opinion, the OG Death Valley Tiger Stadium down at LSU. And the reason it is so high up on my list is I think when this game is played at night, this is the most intimidating, most intense, and hardest atmosphere to come in and get a win going into LSU. I love that their team wears white at home. I think that even adds to just the intimidation. And of course, if you just not don't think about this last year, um, what has LSU kind of always been known for? While not having the greatest offense, they've been known for just having a mean streak, athletic, tough-hitting defense. And when they get their defenses on the field, this is one of the loudest stadiums in all of sports. It just adds into the intimidation. I think it is one of just the most unbelievable atmospheres when it comes to a night, only rivaled by my number one choice. All right, so number one, I have Neyland Stadium of the Tennessee Volunteers. Ah, that's bold. It's just something about the stadium, man. It's got everything. Obviously, the program hasn't been where it wants to be for the last 20 years, but I'm kind of taking that out of play. Think about... Back in the 90s, this team, huh? you're talking about a team that was playing for the national championship. You get out there early, you're on a boat, you're on a yacht, tailgating, drinking a brew, having a good time in beautiful Tennessee weather. And if you don't think, like, I saw a picture of the stadium. I mean, this thing is right on the water. Is it really? I mean, like, the stadium is, like, 10 feet from the water. These people are docking up, drinking a brew, and just walking right to the stadium. And then when they get inside the stadium, they're wearing a little checkered pattern. One section. Yeah, I mean, they're drinking more brew, too. And then that checkered, that checkered uh, kind of just look with each section. Some sections wearing white, some wearing orange. When they actually do it, which they do for most games, home games, and it's packed out, I think it's the coolest look in college football. And then on top of all of that, when they are good and when they're playing good and when they're playing a big game, it's one of the best atmospheres, atmospheres in college football. It's the biggest stadium in the South at 102,000. 
Um, it's got a lot going for it, and that's why it's at number one for me. All right, so you've got. All right, now I don't feel so bad about putting Tennessee or putting Neyland Stadium at four, knowing you have it at one. But <laughs> at number one, I have Beaver Stadium, and for me, it literally just is what the whiteout experiences is. To me, it is the greatest scene in all of college football when you have a hundred and seven thousand. I'm going to repeat that number for you: a hundred and seven thousand uh, fans, almost all of them in white just screaming at the top of their lungs, and they are absolutely in your face about it, no shame, obnoxious, want you to have the worst, most miserable night of your life, and they're going to enjoy every second of it. For me, I've, I've, watched, I've just watched a video of, of teams and the entrances and just the crowd noise created during these whiteout games, and especially when Ohio State's in town because they hate Ohio State, they're extra up for it. I was actually maybe even planning on going to the game this year, uh, but I don't think that's going to happen um, due to COVID. But it's one place that I just need to get back to because I remember uh, when I went there back in like, I think I was eight years old, so back in maybe, no, so it was 2005. Yeah, so I was eight years old, 2005. I had the worst experience of my life, and I know every Penn State fan is happy to hear that. It's just extremely intimidating to play, Grosh's crowd, and the second biggest stadium uh, in college football. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that says it all. Penn State, a great place. We've had a lot of the the same things here on our top 10 but yeah, I mean it's mostly a, a subjective list obviously there's some things that got to be on the list and there's some things that obviously aren't on the list but mm-hmm. for the most part it's pretty subjective and the criteria we had was pretty loose so yeah it's true so yeah but I, overall I think we had a pretty solid top 10s yeah I think so too I think we have a lot of similarities now maybe some jumble about where those top 10 fall mm-hmm. um, but I can only think of maybe we each had two stadiums that the other person didn't have in their top 10 I have no shame about the fact that my three favorite programs in college football are Ohio State, Tennessee, and Nebraska, and Nebraska I have them all three in my top one. three. Nebraska is an interesting one. I just, I don't know. I think I, I kind of have a heart for them just because they're so bad right now. If they ever get good, I'll probably start disliking them That's again. Fair. But That's fair. the fact that they're bad and that pro, that 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 fan base is just so guess, so good still. I guess that makes I sense. I love it. Growing up, LSU is my favorite SEC team. Now I've kind of just fallen off that just because like. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I guess I've just kind of fallen out of love with the SEC gender. But I used to always love LSU growing up. They're my favorite SEC team. Um, and I just always have like I've heard of great stories about Neyland Stadium, so I made sure to give that stadium uh, the credit too. And I think maybe maybe Beaver Stadium is so high on my list because I'm watching the whiteout game every year, and every other year it's involved with a team that I truly care about. I know the Ohio State struggles in there, and I know Ohio State's struggles in that stadium have largely been due to mm-hmm. what that crowd is. So I think there's definitely some bias, but... You're never going to be able to completely make an unbiased decision, uh, for sure. When these, when these, in these kind of situations. All right, so let's get to the ACC preview. Yes, yeah, um, people are really here for. Let's we'll start with the ACC Atlantic. If that works with you, that's one yeah, Clemson Clemson's is in. in. Yeah, we'll just get that's Clemson the Clemson the division. Clemson out of the way. Um, yeah, so let's just jump right into it. Let's start with Clemson. Um, they're returning Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. Those are the big ones. Um, they are losing a lot, though. They're losing a lot on defense. Um, Justin Ross, their star wide receiver, may never play football again. That's crazy. Um, but still, it's Clemson. They still have Dabo. They still have Trevor. They still have Travis. They still have a great D-line. And they still have all the things you know Clemson for. And it's still the ACC. So Clemson should, shouldn't struggle too much in this uh, division. Yeah, let's be real. Clemson's going to go 13-0. They're yeah. going to win the ACC. 
uh, and they're going to be in the culture world playoff. So now that we got that out of the way, uh, sure. get to the <laughs> we can talk about, yeah, exactly. No, but no, I mean, to talk a little about Clemson, I guess maybe to play a little devil's advocate, where can this team struggle? You're right. They lose a lot in the back end, but they do bring a lot in their front four. And I think they're going to be able to, from what I've read, they're going to be able to go back to their traditional four man, three down lineup uh, and not have to, to do more rotations to kind of make up for the lack of depth up front. And even though they lose a lot, especially on the offensive line, they do bring in like a pretty strong um, widened gap, the number one overall class, and they had a pretty good widened gap in that. Had six five-star recruits coming in. I don't know how many of those players play this year, um, but I think even though that they lost a lot from last year, they're definitely a program now that um, retools, they don't rebuild, or they replace, they don't rebuild. Um, maybe if they struggle for one year, uh, they struggle anywhere this year, it's the fact that they're replacing four offensive linemen, and if Trevor Lawrence doesn't have as much protection as he did last year, and he's got to find new players to throw to, T. Higgins into the NFL, Justin Ross, obviously not going to be available to this year. I think uh, also if Travis Etienne can't get going because the line can't get holes for him, uh, maybe that those problems show up in the playoff. And I do think if there's one thing that trips this up team, uh, it's going to be can they um, be able to just coast through 13 games in a pretty weak ACC and then be able to find a way to turn it on uh, in the in the in the playoff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Clemson. Pretty much the story here is they are losing a lot, but they are bringing back the important things like Dabo, obviously, like Trevor Lawrence, uh, like Travis Etienne. They've always been known for their great D line through this stint where they've been really good, especially the last two or three years they've had amazing D lines. They should continue to have that and. If with with those pieces and just being Clemson, they should really shouldn't really struggle to just stride through this conference and especially this division. There's really but, only one difficult game on the schedule where this could get tricky, and that is at Notre Dame yeah. on November seventh, seven thirty p.m. Uh, night game in one of the stadiums that you have as your top ten stadiums. True. So you never know, and um, I think it's going to be a lot to where's Notre Dame at that time, not where's to Clemson. It's going to be more to me about can Notre Dame give a Clemson, but if Notre Dame's a team that's rolling. Uh, that could be a crazy environment to go into. Game day could potentially be there too. So that's like the one highlight, but I think they rule through that game and go 13-0. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I only have one schedule note for Clemson too, and it's Notre Dame away. And it should be a fun game, but um pretty sure this game was played in the college football playoff, right, two yeah, years ago. Like and 37-3 or something. They won that pretty easily. So I think we could see something similar there. Um, but, yeah, let's move on to Florida State here. Florida State. Uh, Mike Norvell takes over. A lot of experience is coming back for Florida State. They've got James Blackman at QB back. They've is got wide back? receivers. What? Oh, yeah, he's back. Never mind. Yeah, he's back. They've got uh, wide receivers DJ Matthews and uh, is it Tamori and Terry, as well as running back Jayshon Corbin, transfers in from Texas A&M. They're 27th in returning production. They're pretty high up there. But I think one thing that definitely is going to struggle with me picking Florida State to have a really great year with a jump up from what was a pretty rough year last year is the fact that they got Mike Norvell coming in with this whole COVID thing going on, it's going to be hard for a new coach to come in, especially when they've already had problems in the offseason with everything we talked about two pods ago. Um, as well, James Blackman, he's coming back at QB. He showed some signs of life towards the end of last year, but he really could have used a, a regular offseason without the COVID to develop some more. And I think with that, too, that's going to be tough. And as well, they're obviously in the same division as Clemson, which is going to make it tough. That's probably an automatic L, and they do play Florida as well, so that's going to be tough. So they've got a few L's just scheduled in here. And although I think they'll be a little bit better than last year, I don't see them doing much better than 7-5. and five. Yeah. 
I think it's going to be a tough first year, but don't get me wrong. I love the hire of Mike Norvell, and it's a little bit unfortunate for them that it's going to get off to a little more rocky start with the way COVID's gone down. But I think it's a great hire, and, and he can get this program back to where it should be. When I think of Florida State, I think of one thing. they got to protect the quarterback. Their offensive line has been absolutely horrendous the past couple of years. They basically knocked DeAndre Francois out of football because they could not protect him. They do bring in um, some hope. They bring in Dante Lucas as a young piece to hopefully uh, fill in some spots. And FIU grad transfer Devontae Taylor should also lock down one of those tackle spots. So for me, they got to be able to protect up, protect up front and give James Blackman some time uh, to throw the football. The other tough thing about this Florida State team is their schedule at the start is brutal. In the first five games, they play at West Virginia, at Boise State, and they host Clemson. So I think a really tough start off, a really tough start to the schedule. I do worry that if they lose all three of those games, it could be one where it's harder to kind of get the to get the cogs rolling and kind of shake off some of those early losses. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, with everything with COVID, it's going to be a little bit harder, a little bit harder for them to get out of the gates. And um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting in the ACC because. Teams like, not teams, but Florida State and Miami especially, they always have so much more talent than everyone else in the ACC because of their names and who they are and their recruiting classes. And there's always a chance they jump up and get a random 9-3 and or 10-2 and if the coaching is there. But a lot of times they don't, and they kind of fall apart because the coaching isn't there. But if Mike Norvell can, even with everything that happened with COVID, can take this roster that is definitely extremely talented compared to a lot of the ACC, then he can win a lot of these games. They'll yeah. be favored in a lot of games, but it will it's just be. a matter of the, if they can win them. Yeah, exactly, too. And I think they do have some wins on their schedule. They um, obviously have a Samford, and you know I think they should be able to beat Wake Forest at home and beat Pitt at home. But, I mean, we've got five games with at West Virginia, at Boise State, Clemson, at Miami, and yeah. um, Florida at the end of the year. Those feel, those those five, if you want to have a 9-3 and three season, you have to win all the games you're supposed to and find a way to turn two of those games into wins. I just don't see it happening this year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so moving on, let's talk about Louisville. Um, I think these two teams, Louisville and Florida State, will probably be fighting out for second in this division. Um, obviously, we saw what Louisville did last year with an 8-5 and five season. After a 2-10 and 10 season, Scott Satterfield came in. He turned this program around in one year. Um, they were returning 13 starters. I wanted to say they were like 7th in returning production. They're getting their starting QB, Mikhail Cunningham, back, and most of their defensive firepower is back as well. Um, so they've got a lot back. They've got Scott Satterfield still there. He kind of turned it around last year. Um, they went 8-5 last year. I see some reason for optimism this year. Um, the schedule really isn't schedule's super, pretty rough. I guess it's pretty rough in the fact that they play Clemson and they do play Notre Dame, but... I think besides that, I, I don't want to say it's too hard, but I can't remember for sure. I think they also play Kentucky as well, who's supposed to be one of the surprisingly yeah, good do. teams in the SEC this year, a team that I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter because I follow, I follow a lot of the guys from the Cover 3 podcast, but um, Kentucky is supposed to be a team that they believe will be sneaky good this year. We'll obviously get more into that when we do the SEC preview. But you're right, they do bring back 15 stars, including Mikhail Cunningham and also Javain, I think it's Javian Hawkins, I hope I said that correctly, uh, one of the more dynamic running backs in college football so I think a team that last year even though they I think they struggled or they they went eight and five last year I think this could be a year where they kind of build on that too um uh, and like you said the schedule doesn't shape up to be too bad I need to pull it up here like you said it is at Clemson uh at Notre Dame and Kentucky but after that I mean I think it's a lot of games they can win they get Virginia Tech who I think will be one of the better teams in the ACC at home uh none of their road games seem super difficult just Syracuse Boston College in Virginia so I think it's a I think it's a schedule that can set up if they win a couple of games they win the games they should and a couple of the games are more toss-ups they can put together another eight and nine eight or nine win season yeah yeah definitely um 
it's still the ACC, so there's going to be so many games that they play and that are going to be toss-up games, you know, and that's just the way the ACC is. And a lot of it is going to come down to if they can find a way to win those toss-up games. And yeah. that's really just – I mean, that's a lot of middle-of-the-tier conferences, but especially the ACC, it's anything can really happen when it comes to the middle-of-the-tier middle uh, teams in this conference. But moving on to NC State. Okay. Um, from here on out, I don't have a ton of notes on these uh, – what is this? The Atlantic teams, but – NC State, um, they're coming off a pretty rough year. Two years ago, they were looking really good. I want to say they were like 8-0, 9-0, and then they kind of collapsed towards the end of the year, lost their last three or four, and ever since then, it's really been rough. They went 4-8 and eight last year, 1-7 and seven in the ACC. They're not necessarily returning a ton. There's not really a ton of positivity for me. Um, I mean, I just I kind of struggle to see where the wins are going to come from, at least in terms of getting back to where NC State wants to be as a program. They play Mississippi State on the road, or they play Mississippi State in the non-con. Um, that's going to be tough. They do obviously play Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, the teams in their conference, as well as playing, I want to say Duke um, and UNC on the other side. So they get UNC, which is a pretty tough one. I don't see a ton of a reason for optimism with NC State, though. No, they do play an early game against Mississippi State that I think will be tough, and they start the season at Louisville too. I think that's a 0-2 start to the season, so. A- kind of a tough jumping point to get off of uh and then you're also talking about a program like you said even though they had nine wins in 2017-2018 really fell off the wagon last year uh and just going four and eight and it was a lot of due to the fact that they lost ryan finley in 2018 and the quarterback play just did not replace it i think whether they have any sort of success this year is if they can bring in someone who can compete and play well at the quarterback position but if they don't i just i find i find a lot of trouble seeing this team uh getting something going mm-hmm. i mean they do because they play in the ACC. They have a lot of baked-in wins out of conference. Mm-hmm. But even that game at Troy in September, I'm not convinced that's a win. They should be Delaware and you know they might not even be Liberty um, <laughs> when they come to town uh, in November. But it just, boys. it's a schedule that I think has a lot of losses on it, and I think it's a, a team that just struggles to kind of get back to where they were two years ago. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a struggle. I think any time you have a team that was ready for that step up and almost got to it and then falls short it's so hard to build it back up to that spot again and I mean if they ever do get to that place I think it's a few years down the road and I mean I hate to be really negative but I don't think it's ever gonna not ever gonna happen again obviously but I don't think anywhere in the near future do I see NC State stepping back up I think programs like Miami and Florida State are gonna and Virginia Tech are gonna take their steps up and North Carolina are gonna take their steps up before a team like North Carolina State is mm-hmm. all right so let's move on to Boston College. Um, it's not a ton that I really know about Boston College. Obviously, I know Jeff Halfley is coming in. So mm-hmm. another first-year head coach. Um, tough, tough, tough. In the COVID era, era which is going to be difficult. Uh, they were not great last year going 6-7. and seven. They were starting to string together a few good years there, uh, maybe three or four years ago. But it's kind of came back down to earth where Boston College typically is in that 5-6 win range the last two years. And uh, – I really like Jeff Halfley. It's going to be his first head coaching job. Obviously, I'm probably a little bit biased. He was the uh, high state co-defensive coordinator slash the defensive backs coach, I want to say. and uh, like that, yeah. Yeah, and I really like him. He came in and immediately changed this defense um, pretty much right away. So he definitely knows what he's doing. Um, I don't know enough about him to feel 100% confident, but I have a feeling he'll get this program back to a good spot. Back to where they want to be, more in that eight-win range than the five or six-win range, and I don't necessarily think it's going to happen super quick, especially with the COVID area over era though. So probably more in that five-six-win range, like they usually are. But out of conference, it's looking looking pretty pretty brutal, or not brutal, pretty easy. I guess they play Purdue, 
They play Ohio. Play Holy Cross. They play Holy Cross, my lord. <laughs> and they play Kansas. Kansas. Well, yeah. Hey, Les Miles at Kansas yeah. now. That's not an easy win. Yeah, true. With Boston College, you never know. Who was it that Kansas like blew out last year? Was it Boston College? I don't know. Kansas blew look. out somewhere early on in the year. I think it was Maryland actually. But no, so Boston College. It was I Boston mean, College, yeah. Oh yeah, I thought so. Yeah, Boston College. Uh, yeah, so they got blown out last year. Now they're now they're going to Kansas. Yeah, so going to that might Kansas. be an L. They play in Ohio, Holy Cross. Um, but yeah, obviously they have to play Clemson. They have to go on the road to Virginia Tech. They have to play schedule. UNC on the other side of the conference, who I think is going to be really solid this year. Yeah. Uh, Wake Forest on the road. A few teams like that. It's not going to be easy. Yeah, so I tell you, Boston College, I think they had overachieved the past couple of years, and then, like you said, they fell back to 6-7, seven, and seven, and that thought everyone thought that was more of where Boston College should be, but that's not where the Boston College football program wants to be. They fired their head coach because of it, uh, and they brought in Jeff Halfley, like you said. Now, of course, they bring in Jeff Halfley at a time, or bringing in a coach um, is so difficult, and when you think of Boston College, they're just going to have to be able to replace A.J. Dillon, their star running back of three years, someone who is kind of a freak um, at the running back position for his size, but also his ability uh, to, to make jump cuts in the hole and speed at the end of it. I think they're going to have just so much problems replacing him. And you have a non-conference schedule that, even though it kind of looks easy up front, I think has two losses baked into it when it comes to Kansas and Purdue. And just, just it seems like this year with, with losing A.J. Dillon, someone who kind of made that program different, a new coach, and actually two losses in the non-conference. And I think they also struggled in the ACC. I'm very much trending down on Boston College this year. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm trending down on a lot of these programs. Here's another one, Wake Forest. Oh, they're uh, definitely. Eight and five last year, but they were like eight and oh one or something. Yeah. I mean, I think they were, but I think they scheduled really easy because they went yeah. four and four in the ACC. I think they scheduled really easy in the non-con, but yeah, they went eight and five. Dave Clawson, he's been their head coach there for a while. I think this is going to be his seventh year now. So he's been there for a while. So obviously you have a bit of consistency at the head coaching position, but I just don't see it going super well this year. I know that they're pretty far down in returning production. Um, I haven't really looked at their schedule though. What do we got? They do play a pretty. They do play Notre Dame, uh, but yeah. other than that, it's a ridiculous non-conference. Yeah. <laughs> it's Old Dominion, App State, and Villanova. Who, if this App was State a basketball game, I would be much more excited about. Yeah. Um, but they will not probably be three and zero. Although actually, I don't know if they beat App State. I don't think that's a given. No. But if they get past that, they do have Notre Dame coming to town November twenty sixth. Uh, 3-0, maybe maybe on the fringes of being ranked. No, I'm, I'm very much trending down on Wake Forest. I mean, the number 11th ranked recruiting class coming in. Uh, in the ACC. In, in the ACC, okay. yeah. So ACC. out of 14 teams, yeah, definitely not 11th <laughs> nationally. I think a program that pretty much kind of was punching outside of their weight last year, uh, and I think this year they maybe come back to a little bit more of where they're supposed to be. And I don't think, like you said, I don't think they have an 8-0 schedule right out of the gate. Um, after they played Notre Dame, they got to go to Duke, Miami of Florida, and at Florida State. So I think three games back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. They're all tough games when it comes for, especially for Wake Forest and the ACC. I don't think they, could, they get the kind of jump, but they do. If they do find a way to put wins together, they do play Clemson. Uh, Second-to-last game of the season on, um, on November 21st. So maybe they can pretend to be good going into that game, and that might bring some excitement to this block of a conference. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's getting kind of rough when we get down here. Here's oh, another team I'm not super excited for. I would have been a few years ago, but Syracuse, uh, Dino Babers going into his fifth year. Obviously, there's a lot of excitement around Dino Babers two years ago when they went 10-2. Uh, and two. Um, They nearly beat uh, 
Clemson that year. The year before that, they did beat Clemson. I forgot we're going really well. I think I do have to mention, I totally forgot to say it. The reason I'm trending so much down Wake Forest is their starting quarterback transferred out. Yeah. So that doesn't even help either. Sorry, but keep going on statistics. There you go. Yeah, that doesn't help, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, towards the bottom here, there's a lot of teams that are trending down. I, I think it was always coming for a lot of these teams because mm-hmm. Florida State and Miami and Virginia Tech have been down so long. And those are teams that at some point are going to bounce back. They just have to. And I think those teams are finally ready to kind of take that step forward. I think when that happens, just naturally, some of these teams like North Carolina State, like Syracuse, like Wake Forest, non-traditional powers are going to kind of take a step back. And it was a rough year last year for Syracuse. Uh, I want to say they lost to Rutgers, was it, or something like that, they I think. They lost to Maryland by, like, 30 points. Yeah, I think they might have lost to – it was a rough year. They, they gave went, up, like, almost 70 points to Maryland last yeah, year. Yeah, I remember that game being crazy. Um, they went 5-7, and 2-6 and six in conference, and – Quite frankly, I don't see a ton of reason why it's going to be much different this year. They're not necessarily amazing in returning production. They didn't bring in anything great on the recruiting trail. Um, their schedule, I will say it's actually uh, it's really easy out of conference. you got Rutgers, Colgate, Western Michigan, and Liberty. Colgate. So those could, those should be four wins. Western Michigan might be, and Liberty might be a bit you, of a toss-up. Going up. to Rutgers, I think... I think um, yes, that's true, too. Who's, who's their new coach? I literally just... Uh, the Ohio State, the guy who coached Ohio State. Why am I blanking on this? <laughs> I know it too, but it's just like it's. Oh my god! Me. But I, I think he might circle that as a game. Return of yeah. the Rutgers program. Mm-hmm. Um, you never know. He might take a few years, but why yeah. am I blanking on his name? This is so bad. I feel but, like I should know this. But yeah, I mean Syracuse. They should have. I mean, they could have four wins baked in here in the non-con playing Rutgers, Colgate, Western Michigan, and Liberty. Greg Schiano. So that could be four wins, uh, but after that, I just don't see a ton of reason for optimism. So let's move on to the ACC. I think I might be a little higher on Syracuse. I think I need to get my piece in on Syracuse. I think I'm a little bit higher on them. They do bring back second-year quarterback Tommy DeVito and other eight starters on the offense. So I think the offense is marginally better at at best. At worst, excuse me, marginally better at the worst. I think it's a team that, while they didn't bring in a good recruiting class, 12th in the ACC, I think maybe – has a chance that they put some pieces together, can get back to kind of that program that had eight, nine wins and was able to win a crazy game when they hosted um, uh, Clemson. I think they, I think the year that Clemson lost in the playoffs to Alabama, they won that year at home. And Kelly Bryant was the quarterback, I should have said that. Uh, they obviously won that game at home that year, knocking Kelly Bryant out of that game. I think if they can find a way to put four wins together in the non-conference and the offense hits off this year, I think they can potentially win some of those toss-up ACC games, win their four out-of-conference games, and who never knows. I think this program has maybe a chance to um, to get back, but if they resemble anything that they were on defense last year, it's going to be a real problem. Uh, they gave up 63 to Maryland, 41 to Clemson, and my guess is Clemson's not playing after halftime, 33 in a win at Western Michigan, 58 to Boston College. So a team that just, a defense that just last 56 to Louisville, so I think if they want to do anything this year, they have to seriously improve on the defensive end. Yeah. All right. So let's move to the ACC Coastal. Yes. Got to keep moving. Got to keep moving. Yeah. We got to kind of go a little bit faster here. Get this under an hour. At least we're going to try. So let's start with North Carolina. This team. Man, the optimism around this team right now is wild. You got QB Sam Howell, the freshman last year. Great. Sling it. He was something last year in some of those games. He was balling out, and he's coming back. One more year under his belt. One more offseason under his belt. Chas Surratt, the star linebacker, is coming back. Dayami Brown, Daz Newsome, all return. They are 18 in the nation in returning production. They are 16-ranked recruiting class last year. Um, obviously, they have Mac Brown at the helm. He's got a lot of things going positive. 
They've got next year's recruiting class. Obviously, that's next year, but still, that's looking really good. I want to say it's three in the country right now behind Ohio State and probably Clemson, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of optimism around this program. I think they're going to be really solid this year, um, especially because, well, their out-of-conference is actually pretty difficult. They go on the road to UCF. They play Auburn. Um, and they also, I guess those are the two big games, and those are their first two games. Could be tough, but in conference this year, whew, they avoid Clemson, and I want to say they avoid Florida State. So it, it's, you know, it's going to be, I think, a pretty easy in-conference schedule, and I think they're definitely going to have a shot at winning this division. Spoiler alert there, my pick to win the division, and it's all about Sam Hamnell coming back. He was a gunslinger last year. I think he's a great quarterback for Mac Brown to work with. They bring in a very good recruiting class, number third in the ACC, 19th nationally overall, and not to mention um, the recruiting class you talked about in 2021 obviously doesn't impact this season. So I think where this North Carolina program is going is really good, and I think a big year this year can go a long way to setting the path for what this program can do yeah. going forward. And I think they got a great shot too. Like you said, I think they have two losses in their first two games in the season, playing UCF and then hosting Auburn. That'll be a great game though. I think that game, if they move that to a night game, that may, may be a great time to show off the North Carolina program. Mm-hmm. Then you're talking about after that, they're going to beat Georgia Tech. I think if they can win on the road in Virginia, I think they got a great chance to really run a stretch of wins uh, in the ACC. But I do worry if they lose those two games, they lose at Virginia, Maybe they slip up at Virginia Tech next week. It could be a season um, that gets out of hand. But I think Mac Brown just knows a way to keep these games close. I mean, you think about last year. They went 7-6, and six, and all six losses were by less than one possession. So he tells you. And I think if they can find a way to flip three of those games, you're looking at a 10-win team this year, and I think a team that can absolutely be in the ACC championship. All right, let's move on to Miami here. It was a disappointing first season for Manny Diaz, and he's obviously looking to bounce back. He brings in De'Eric King. A transfer from Houston. I love that. Yeah, I, I he's love that. One of the best uh, QBs in game college changer, football. In my opinion. An absolute game changer. A guy that people kind of forgot about last year because he sat out. Yeah. He was obviously injured. And then, uh, yeah. well, he actually wasn't injured. He, he just, decided, just, just he decided it was after four games. Yeah. Well, the original decision was after four games, he's like, he thought the Houston program was going to be better the mm-hmm. following year. So his original decision was, I'm just going to sit out this year and play next year, and the program will be better. I don't think that was probably received very well. So then yeah. he went for a, a better place in Miami who needed a quarterback. Yeah. T. Martell's not going to get the job done. Yeah. I mean, so obviously Derek King comes in. He is a game changer, I think. Uh yeah, I mean, literally, they need a QB desperately. And he brings in Dan Ennos, a first-year QB coach, mm-hmm. to, to work with him. They are 96th in returning production, which hurts a little bit, but the talent continues to be there. Look, it's Miami. They continue to bring in pretty solid recruiting classes. They are Miami. A lot of the time, it just comes down to what can they do with that talent. I think it's going to be another one of those years. Um, they do kind of have a pretty easy non-con. I think they have four wins baked in, in my opinion. They play Temple, Wagner, UAB, and Michigan State. In my opinion, those are all four dubs. Mm-hmm. Um, Michigan State is really bad. bad. going to be really oh bad God. this year. So They avoid Clemson and Louisville out of the uh, the other side of the conference. They do play Florida State. That will be their tough uh, out of the, the division, I mean, uh, game. So, yeah, I think it's a good schedule. I think. The fact that they're bringing in De'Ara King is a game changer. I like Manny Diaz. He didn't have a great starting year, but I remember looking at their schedule. They lost a lot of close games last year. They lost a lot of games they probably should win most years. And even with that, they still won six games. I think this is a team that could surprise some people and maybe get nine wins this year. 
Yeah, I must I must apologize. I misspoke. Dan Ennis was the QB coach last year. He got fired, and then they bring in um, Rhett Lachey from SMU, of course, who had that light up offense last year mm-hmm. uh, and set a ton of points. Just had a ton of great, uh, just had a great season last year. Set a ton of records in terms of of stats like that at SMU last year. And he brings in, I think, it's just a great fit with De'Aaron King. Um, and they also bring in a lot of uh, talent on they are they have a lot of talent on the defensive end. They bring in UCLA transfer Jalen Phillips, who a lot of people forget was a former number one overall recruit, uh, and will be teaming up with Gregory Rousseau, who had fifteen and a half, who has fifteen and a half sacks so far in his career. So I think they have a chance to really shore up that defensive line, and I think if they can get a high flying attack this year, I think Miami could have a sneaky good year this year. While North Carolina is my pick, I think this team will be fighting for that position uh, as well. And I think the schedule for for Miami also sets up. Very, very well. They get a lot of big games this year at home. I think they get Florida State at home. Uh, they get they get Florida State at home. They get North Carolina at home. They get Pittsburgh at home. I think three games that will go a long way in determining their, uh, their where they finish in the division this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Miami's definitely going to compete with North Carolina as well. I think Virginia Tech is one more of those teams in this division yeah, that's going to compete for the division. They got Hendon Hooker. He comes back at QB. He looked really good at times last year. As well, Virginia Tech brings back its entire starting O-line and three of its four best wide receivers. Justin Fuente, considered a really good coach, is still there, but he is going to be on the hot seat this year. I don't know if that helps or hurts him, but he's definitely going to be needing a good year here. Um, I think Virginia Tech is, like I said, going to compete with Miami and North Carolina for this division. and yeah, Yeah, I think Virginia Tech is also a team this year. Uh, that has a chance to compete. Remember, they were one game from winning the ACC Coastal last year, and they bring back 18 starters and a lot of the positions that are really important, like you mentioned. I am a little bit disappointed that they had the worst recruiting class in the ACC, but that shouldn't be too much of a of a factor next year. I think you're looking at a program that has a chance to just – they're really young last year, bring back a lot of pieces, have the same head coach. I think that will help a lot in a COVID type of year when you have a lot of uncertainty and a lot of moving pieces for some other programs. Virginia Tech is going to be a program that is very much familiar with who they are and what they kind of have on their roster and what they can do this year. I think if things fall right for them, they have a very good chance uh, and making a big run in the ACC Coastal last year. Kind of like I said, I mean, they were one win last year. They do have a pretty – they have one tough uh, game uh, in non-conference. They do go to Penn State, but other than that, should have three wins against Liberty, Middle Tennessee, uh, North, uh, and North Alabama. I didn't even know there was a North Alabama. Uh, and they do play some tough games on the road. They play at North Carolina, at Louisville, at Pittsburgh. Uh, but they do get Miami at home this year, which could be a very big game. And they do get Virginia at home this year uh, in that last game is a rivalry game. So probably they're two of their three biggest competitors in the Coastal. They get at home. Uh, and so if they can find a way to win those games, uh, they avoid Clemson. Kind of, uh, kind of. I feel like that's such a big thing in the ACC to avoid Clemson uh, as well. And they also avoid Florida State as well. So potentially, I think Virginia Tech, uh, I think they're also another sleeper to win this division. All right, so we got Pittsburgh. Uh, Pat Narduzzi is coming back for his sixth year. He's been just pretty sneaky consistent here, racking up a bunch of six, seven, eight win seasons. I don't see a ton of a reason to think it's going to be much different this year. I don't think they're really going to compete for this division, but I think they'll probably finish somewhere around 500 in this division and probably finish somewhere with about seven wins. Yeah, if you look at um, what Pat Narduzzi has done as Pittsburgh, he's won seven or eight games four out of the five seasons, which is pretty just remarkable last year. Obviously, they had the big win last year in UCF, which broke I think at the time UCF's very long win streak uh and i don't think they actually play penn state this year for the first time in a very long time you kind of pretty much kind of hit after the top three in the acc coastal virginia tech north carolina miami 
my expectations for the other forward programs fall all a bit fall off a bit, and it kind of starts with Pittsburgh. Uh, we'll see how they do this year, but um, they've traditionally been a seven eight win program, and I don't see much that that changes that. Yeah, let's move on to Virginia. Obviously, the team that won this division last year, but I don't necessarily think that means a ton because we've seen in seven years seven different teams have won this uh, division, so no one's ever repeated before. I think we have the same scenario here. Obviously. It's Virginia. The fact that they won this last year has a, says a lot about the fact that they were a pretty old team last year. They're they're definitely losing a lot. They're one of the last few teams in returning production, and because of that, I think it's going to be tough to get a lot of these new players in here, especially with this COVID era. COVID era, um, and I think, although they're not going to be a complete disappointment, I don't see them really competing for this division. And I see them kind of finishing somewhere around the 500 mark. Yeah, I think this is a team that takes a big step back. And my biggest reason of that is they lose Bryce Perkins, who was just an absolute game changer. And a lot of the reasons they won some of the close games they played last year. Obviously just a difference maker at the quarterback position. But they lose him. They lose a lot of talent on that team that won the Coastal last year. And if you look at their schedule, it is pretty brutal. They do get yeah. VMI and Connecticut and Old Dominion, but they do play Georgia in the first game of the season. They also play Clemson in their ACC opener. Then right after that, they host North Carolina, I think a team that could be beat up from two of their first four games and then already playing probably one of their um, their biggest com- competitors in the ACC Coastal. And then they... They do get I tell you, they play if they do get a pretty easy road schedule outside of Clemson they play Georgia Tech and Duke and they do go to Virginia Tech so maybe not as much but I think a team that overall what I'm trying to get at takes a big step back we got to keep rolling on this we got to keep moving we got three teams left all right so uh, I Georgia much, I don't have much on them so yeah I think we got two, uh, two. Georgia yeah. Tech here um, it's not a lot to say I like the trajectory of Georgia Tech under Jeff Collins it's going to be a second year he went three and nine last year. I really like the fact that Georgia Tech is getting out of the triple option, but this year isn't going to be the year they take that step forward. They're probably going to be a 3-4 win team. I think overall the trajectory is up with Jeff Collins. Yeah, I do like where this program goes. It's just not there yet. I mean, if you think about what they're trying to do, it's so difficult. They're taking a team that was completely designed for the triple option offense and trying to put them in completely different. I do like where this program's going. They had the fifth-ranked recruiting class in the ACC and 26 nationally, so something that I think bodes well for this program going forward but i just don't yep. think they're there uh just yet they start off the season of with clemson so that's a brutal way to start the season and then they play in a five-week stretch i believe they play home to ucf at north carolina at virginia tech home to virginia and then at pittsburgh i think that's just loss 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 after loss i think they get off a really tough start to the season and it just kind of snowballs from there all right finally we'll talk about duke the obvious basketball school here in the acc um, um Man, I don't really have a ton to say about Duke. Uh, they went five and seven last year, three and five in the ACC. I don't have a ton of reason to think it's going to be much different. No. They might sneak up and beat a few teams, but they're definitely not going to be competing for this division, and they're probably going to end somewhere in that four five one range. No, they very much struggle to replace Daniel Jones, and I don't know yeah. how it gets much better. They do play a pretty easy non-con in Middle Tennessee, Elon, Charlotte, and uh, they, oh, they do draw Notre Dame, though. So one of the teams yeah. um, last year. Also, I forgot to mention with Georgia Tech last year, they obviously played Georgia at the end of the season like they always do, and they draw Notre Dame. So that schedule for them next year is pretty brutal. But yeah. for Duke, it's a little bit easier. Uh, they have pretty much three wins, I think, baked into their non-conference. But they've struggled to replace um, Daniel Jones, and I just don't see much. I think Duke was one of those programs that overachieved for four or five years, kind of did something extra, and I think they're kind of falling back to the irrelevancy, the irrelevancy that their program normally is. 
All right, give us your official predictions for the ACC Atlantic right. winner, the ACC Coastal winner, and then your ACC winner. So Clemson's winning the Atlantic, obviously. What we're caring about this year is the Coastal. I think three teams really have a chance. I want to pick Miami because I think they have the most upside with De'Aaron King and that new offense. Um, but for me, it's just a lot to figure out uh, in a COVID type of year. Uh, I like Virginia Tech's continuity bringing back, but there's just something to me about North Carolina, Mac Brown, bringing a great recruiting class, bringing a lot of returning talent. I think they've got a great fit at the quarterback, and I think they got maybe a schedule that works for them. I think they find a way, kind of an upset style, to, to get to the ACC title game where they get absolutely obliterated by Clemson, who goes to the college football so. playoff. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, for me, I've got... Obviously, Clemson coming out of the ACC Atlantic. Don't think it will be much of a struggle at all. Uh, Florida State and Louisville are both on the rise, but Florida State's still got a few more years to get there. And then out of the Coastal, man, I think all three of these teams have a case. But what I will say is North Carolina next year, I think, is going to be really, really solid, especially once they get out of this COVID area, era. Hopefully, their great recruiting class that they have coming in next year will have a full off season to train. So because of that, I'm not going to pick them this year. I'm going to go with Virginia Tech. Mm. I really like what they come, have coming back. I really like Kendon Hooker. Um, I really like Justin Fuente. I like the fact that their complete starting O-line is coming back, that three of their best four wide receivers are coming back. They're a team that nearly won it last year. They've got a lot coming back, and I think they're going to win it this year. And then obviously I think Clemson will come out of the ACC, win it, and get to the College Bowl playoff. All right, we only got 15 seconds. You got anything else before we go? No, I think that'll do it. We'll be back next week with uh, the Big 12 preview and one of these other fun discussions that we like to do. But that will do it for uh, two guys. One One mic. mic.